We're going to be in Philippians today. We're taking a, a break from the book of Genesis. We'll pick that up in Genesis chapter 12. We'll pick that up in, in January. But we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you in the chairs, and it'll be on the page 980 in that black Bible. So will you guys please stand with me as we read God's Word? God's Word reads, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way for you all, because I hold you in my heart for you. You are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and this, and it is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that for this purpose you may approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this little letter, this letter of, of gospel joy. I was just thinking about Thanksgiving and, and meditating on your goodness to us. This is the, the thought, the, the characteristic that flooded my heart this past week. Joy. Joy of hanging out with my family. Joy of hanging out with friends. Joy of good food and great football games. Lord, it's, it's a joy. But more importantly, I'm thankful and joy rushed through my heart is because of the work you're doing here at the crossing through the members of this church, your children. They've seen you as your Savior. They're filled with your Spirit. They're informed by your Word, and they love people in their communities where they live, work, and play. And as I reminisce of what you've done over the last eight years, it just, just brings joy and thankfulness and gratitude to my heart. So I know everyone involved in this ministry. So thank you for this time. Lord, we want to give thanks to you for you are good and your love endures forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. Well, one of the beautiful things about living in America is that we get to pursue life, liberty, liberty and happiness. In fact, it's written in our Declaration of Independence. It's a, it's a right that we get to pursue life, liberty, and happiness or joy. So I exercised my freedom. I typed in. I said, man, joy. What is joy? So I asked Siri how to be joyful. How to be joyful. And as you can imagine, as most women do, she gave me a list, right? The list of seven timeless tips towards happiness, 10 steps toward mastering the art of joy, 25 ways to the happy life. I'm thinking like, come on, Siri, is it, is it 7, is it 10, is it 25? And it goes on and on and on. You can even visit the happy gym, and they'll tell you how to be happy. So 
I don't know. There's so many different ways and thoughts about joy out there. I was even watching uh, you know, some good football game, and, uh, and a commercial came on for Chunky Soup. And this is how it started out. Do you know the path of joy? And it said, Chunky Soup. And I'm like, uh, I don't get joy from Chunky Soup. I get gas from Chunky Soup, right? So anyways, I'm thinking like, where is joy? Where does it exist? How do we have it? Uh, what brings you joy? What brings you joy and happiness and, and gratitude? Well, today I just want to, again, take a brief look at the book of Philippians where we, we get a glimpse of joy. This book is about joy. It's not only about joy, but it's about gospel joy. That's where true joy comes from. It comes from the gospel, a joy that's rooted in Christ, a joy that's rooted in his message, the gospel joy that's rooted in his community, the church. As we know, this letter is written to the church of, of Philippi, and this, it's written to a church like us at the crossing, and it is saturated with the gospel and the effects that it produces. And one of those effects is joy, no matter what circumstance they are in. So that's what we're going to take a, a look at. For some of you, this might be new, and that's awesome, awesome. You get to hear what gospel joy is. For some of us, it might just be a reminder. So let's just sit back and see and, and take in what the Lord has us for us in the book of Philippians in 1 through 11. First, a quick context. We know that Paul is writing from not a happy place. He's not writing from the happy gym at all. He's writing from prisons, one of the prison letters of Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. And yet, when you're in prison, as well, I was going to say as you know, but maybe not of you guys might know, some, some that might have been in prison, some of us, right? We, we know there's a lot of time to think in there. And what Paul does, he starts thinking about this church in Philippi, the Philippian church. And he is overwhelmed with thanksgiving and gratitude and passion and joy when he thinks about this church. You see, at the center of his joy is not his circumstances. Again, he's in prison. Um, and it's the same for us. That The center of the heart of, of joy for us is not in our circumstances. It's not in, you know, uh, getting that job or having that car or being in that relationship or or hoping my team wins today, like many of you will be hoping that against the Steelers. But um, oh, I was going to say so much more on that, but I'm just going to let that rest right now. Our joy doesn't revolve around our team winning, right? Thank God, yes. <laughs> Says the Bronco fan, not the Steeler fan. All right, here we go. All right, but here we go. It's not, Paul's joy is, is in the people of, of Philippi, but even it goes beyond that because he knows that those people are in Christ. He knows that ultimate joy is found in Jesus. And as we studied the book of Philippians uh, in 2012, we see that uh, this book is all about joy. And here's what's interesting. Again, joy is about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not a place or our circumstances. 38 times in the 104 verses in Philippians, Jesus Christ is named. And if we add the Lord and Savior, it's 51 times. So if this book is about joy, and, and the Lord and Jesus Christ and Savior appears 51 times in 104 verses, over half the time, where is the joy? The joy is found in Christ. Jesus is at the heart of joy because he's at the heart of the gospel. Joy is found in Christ, not in our circumstances. And at the same time, this is important to note, gospel joy is found in Christ who is working in and through our circumstances. So we can still have joy in the midst of our circumstances. Circumstances are still a part of gospel joy. Why? Because Jesus is working through us in those circumstances. 
Joy is found in Christ. Romans 5.2 makes this clear. He says, through him, in Christ, we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, in which we rejoice in our hope, sharing, uh, sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us in Christ. You see, in our circumstances, whether we're going uh, on a green pasture and everything is going great, or whether we're in the valley and suffering like here in Romans, uh, we can rejoice in our suffering because we know that God, Jesus, is at work in our circumstances. Producing endurance, producing character, producing hope, and shedding the love of God through our hearts. Joy is found in the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, working through the gospel in our lives. That's where joy is found. A quick definition of joy is this. It is a deep delight, trust in Christ, and everything that has been accomplished through the gospel and with all the emotions that accompany it. That's what gospel joy is. It's a deep delight or trust in Christ and everything that has been accomplished through the gospel and all the emotions and characteristics that accompany that. Therefore, since joy is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, it must be relational. And so let's see how Paul brings that to bear. Joy is relational. The first thing we see is joy is being a saint. Verses 1 and 2. Joy is being a saint. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints, uh, the word saints, holy ones, the pure ones in Christ who are at Philippi, the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a fairly routine opening introduction to uh, any of Paul's letters where they place his name at the beginning rather than the end. Paul and Timothy, you notice what they call themselves. They call themselves servants or bond slaves of Christ Jesus, a willingness of giving themselves uh, to Christ and following him because what if Christ has done for them? They give their lives to serve him. But I want you to focus on to all the saints in Christ Jesus. You guys just circle that. Because if he's writing to the crossing, that's what he would write to you. Paul would write to you and to me, to, to all the saints at the crossing who are in Christ Jesus. I love how that he addresses that. That when Jesus and Paul sees us, if we're in Christ, he sees us as saints, not as sinners. I know there's a, there's a tendency uh, for us to emphasize that we're sinners apart from Christ, and rightfully so. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sin. We are, we are sinners. We are enemies. We are rebels of God. But in Christ, we're not sinners. We're saints. Zephaniah points this out in the future hope, gives us the end of our, of our walk. Zephaniah 3.15 says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. The Lord has taken away, he has removed, he has disposed of the judgments against you and me because of our sin, because of what's Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Those of us that repent and trust in Christ and what he's done for us, the Lord takes away our judgment because it's played upon Christ the cross. And this taking away that Zephaniah is talking about and is pointing to the end time is this, this idea of justification. And remember that justification is a judicial term. It's a, it's a, it's a term that comes from a judge to a plaintiff, and he says the, the, the result, the, the final verdict is when God sees you and me through Christ, in Christ, we are not guilty. Our record is cleared. He sees us as righteousness. He sees us 
as saints. On that last day, when Zephaniah is prophesying, the day of the Lord, all of us that are in Christ, on that last day, when I go up before the Lord Jesus Christ and he opens up that book of life and he reads out my name, it's going to read something like this, Aaron Santini, enter the joy of your master. Or it might even say something like this, Saint Aaron, enter the joy of your master. I don't know about you, but that brings me joy. That brings me gladness. That brings me hope to my heart, to my soul. She puts a, a smile on your face this morning that because you have been justified by God in Christ Jesus, your judgments have been taken away. And you're no longer seen as a sinner, but God sees you as a saint. That's our position, a saint. And one day, because you're a saint, because I'm a saint, because we're in Christ, God the Father will express his joy and gladness over us. Zephaniah 3.17, a couple verses later, says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Some of us in here need to hear that this morning. Because of what you did last night. Right, We talk about the already and not yet here. We're positionally already. We're talking about we're a saint. That's how God sees us. We're pure. We're holy. But we're still, we're not there to the end. We're not the day of the Lord. We're not in glorification yet. So we still battle with this thing called sin in our bodies. And some of you sinned last night. And you walk in here with your tail between your legs. And you, and you walk in here with the thought of the enemy saying, how could God love you? You did that thing again last night. Oh, and now you're going to go to church and and praise his name. How is that even possible? It's possible because you're in Christ and because what he has done for you. And God is going to be rejoicing over you. This is your identity. So let's see ourselves, not as sinners, what we were, but what we are, not as saints in Christ Jesus. All of us simply need to hear this this morning. So that's the first thing. We see that joy is being a saint, one who is in Christ Jesus. Secondly, joy is being in a partnership, verses 3 through 8. Verse 3 says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you and making my prayer with joy. And really, this, this prayer, one, verses 1 through 11, is, is, is prayer. We see twice that Paul is talking about his praying for these people. And here again, when he's in jail, he's in prison, he's in, he, he remembers and he, and he just starts to pray. He prays, and he prays out of joy because, and he prays, we notice, with, with thankfulness and with joy and with gratitude. This is what floods Paul's heart. Now, I have to pause when I'm studying this. Is like, I know exactly what Paul is feeling right at this moment. I, I know exactly what he's thinking about, about that church of Philippi, because that's what I think about you guys. As I look over these last eight years, it's, it's, uh, there's joy, there's thankfulness. There's happiness, there's, there's gratitude because of your participation in the gospel, which you see here, your partnership. I know exactly what Paul is feeling here. Now, he uses these all-encompassing terms. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my joy with my prayer with joy. Now, I have to confess, Paul's a little bit holier than I am. I don't always pray with joy for you guys, right? But also... It's a little bit of time, but also when I think about you guys, most of the time, and what the Lord has done, man, it's joyful, thankfulness. This is what Paul says. So, why is Paul so joyful? Well, he gives us some specifics in verses 5 and 6. 
He says in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work will bring it to you in completion on the day of Christ. We see it's twofold. First, it's immediate. It's now. He's thankful now. He's joyful now. He has this thankfulness and joy flowing out of his heart because of the Philippians' fellowship. Because of their partnership. From the first day, when the church began, when the gospel took root here. But then also there's a future aspect, what we call the perseverance of the saints, where God is continuing to work through you, where he says that he, will, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He will be faithful until the end. We're going to focus on that first part, fellowship, partnership. Why? Because we all long for this. We all long for partnership. We all long for companionship. We all long for a team to be a part of, don't we? That's why the movies, you know, the Lord of the Rings, Avengers, the Matrix so, are so gripping and so enticing to us because we come together and we see that this band of misfits or whatever comes together for a purpose. And each one has a place on the team to use their, their times, their talents, their abilities to obtain this goal. We all are drawn to a group, to fellowship, to partnership, to companionship. Whether you're a dwarf, an elf, a hobbit, a superhero, are humans. It's what's in us. We, we, we long for that. And we see this fellowship began in the first days, Paul points out. Right? This, this fellowship began a lot like the crossing as we see. We, we see this fellowship began with some ladies, a group of ladies down by a river in Acts chapter 16. Paul goes into this area, this new area, Europe, where Philippians would become the first European church probably somewhere around modern-day Greece. And he goes in, and he knows there's no Jewish men. There's no synagogues in this city. So what they would do, it seems like, is they'd go down by a river to see if there were some God-fearers that were praying at a place of prayer. you go down by a river and pray. And so that's what he did. And he found some women there. This group of women, these God-fearers. And the leader of the, the, the woman, the, lady, the ladies of the Philippian church, was Lydia. And Lydia was probably a wealthy, influential businesswoman who ran a clothing business, something like Saks Fifth Avenue, a really wealthy and, again, a great leader. And he preaches the gospel to her. And it says the Lord opens her heart, and she repents, and her and her whole house gets baptized. And here is the beginning of the Philippian church that we get to read about in the book of Philippians. And I said, it kind of reminds me of the crossing, because that's how we began. We began with a small little group, my family, seven of us, and then two women in our living room. And by God's grace, he, he's worked and moved by his spirit through his word and many have come to faith and known jesus and grown in their faith and been sent out to plant churches and 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 just impact the world for christ just like the philippian church and just like this little fellowship in philippians that began with these young ladies and so that's neat but here what i want to do is focally quickly give you three pillars of joyful partnership first the foundational principle in this partnership is the gospel that's what's foundational in gospel partnership, joyful gospel partnership, is the gospel. That's what unites us. That's what is the cornerstone of all Christians, of all fellowships, of all partnerships. It's Jesus. He is the foundation. We all come from different backgrounds, different social statuses, different, different, different passions and abilities that we all have. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we all wouldn't congregate here on Sunday mornings to worship him or lift him up. We all recognize that what brings us here is that, yes, we were sinners saved by grace, and now we're saints. And that's what brings us here. That's what unites us. That's what is foundational. So number one, what is foundational to joyful partnership is that we're in Christ. 
the gospel and his message. Secondly, inherited in, in, in gospel partnership or joyful partnership is that there's, there's other people. There's other partners. There's, there's, there's a community. You see, you can't be in a partnership with yourself. We need others. You and I need the church. It says that Jesus, that's where he dwells. He dwells in the midst of his church. That's why there's such a strong warning in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, don't forsake the gathering of the local body, the church. Why? Because we need each other. That's inherent in joyful partnership is that there's others around that we are locking arms with. And thirdly, and this is where I want to just meditate on just for a second. Partnership has a mission. It has a, a gospel mission. To, to proclaim the, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And then all that encompasses it. The, the forgiveness, the serving, the loving, the grace. Paul highlights these churches in Macedonia, which Philippians is a part of, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we see, we see some of these, these words, these buzzwords that I've ever been talking about. We see joy. We see love. We see community. Um, we see life. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, describing this partnership we see in these churches. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And he singles out Philippians in chapter 4, Philippians. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, but I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave of themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Do you hear how Paul describes them in Corinthians? Do you hear the joy? Do you hear the community? Do you hear the gospel? Do you hear them doing life together? The reason why the Philippians and these churches in Macedonia could could accomplish so much and that we, we actually are part, a part of their history and legacy is because they were in partnership with get together. This is what prompted Paul to write this letter of joy and gratitude to the Philippians. And again, as I pause and meditate on what the Lord has done through you, the crossing church, over the last eight years, I, I have the heart of Paul. A tremendous amount of joy and gratitude floods my heart for what the Lord is doing through you guys. Now, we're not always perfect, right? We do have our warts. We do have our imperfections here. But again, because of Jesus, He is moving, and we are community committed to Him and to each other and His mission. And we know that there are going to be times where, where being so close, confined to one another, there's going to be tough times. But more importantly, the characteristic that defines this community is gospel joyful partnership. We will have a joy in this life, when we participate in the mission of God together. I love how one British commentator illustrated this for us. He says, we are all in the family business. We are all in the family business. You guys know we've been going through the book of Genesis, and we, last week we hit on the table of nations in, in Genesis chapter 10. And we saw that our physical line, we can all, everyone in this room, trace our, our heritage back to one of the three sons of Noah, Shem, Han, or Japheth. But also, if we are in Christ, we are also a spiritual family. And that means we all have the same mission or the same business. Verse 5 says we are, our, our business is the gospel. We have fellowship in the gospel. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, Jesus says, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know I'm about to be about my family's what? Business. My father's business. My father's business. 
So if you're in Christ, you're part of the, the family. And that means that you're part of the family business. And the family business is the gospel. Everyone in here has a gospel job description to fulfill. We are all gospel partners working together, doing the work of the gospel, doing the work of the family business, the, the proclamation of the gospel, the sharing it both in word and deed, as well as the financial responsibility for the gospel going out so that we can, again, populate this world, as it says in Genesis, with image bearers. Those who are fruitful and multiplying, not only physically, but also spiritually, by making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You see, when you and I are are fulfilling, when we're partnering, when we're participating in the gospel mission, in the family business that was set forth way back in Genesis chapter 1 and again in Genesis chapter 9, and then Jesus takes that in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and we're participating in that, that's where joy lies. That's where ultimate joy lies in our participation in the family business of proclaiming the gospel of God. Why? Because that is God's will for your life and for my life. That is his mission. And so when we participate in that mission, we will have joy. So we see that, again, joyful partnership, uh, joyful partnership is a part of being joy. Third, we see joy as being a lover, 9 through 11. Joy is being a lover. Verse 9, And it is my prayer that, you love, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. You see, love, as we've studied when we went through the book of John, and, and we've been talking about, love is the cardinal Christian virtue, as one said. Everything flows from love, especially joy. You cannot have joy if you're not a lover. You cannot have joy if you're not a lover. And notice it says again, it's my prayer. This is his prayer for you, the church. I think he's, he's directing this prayer in particularly for the church. He says that your love is what? It's abounding more and more. That your love is growing. So first, what your love is not doing is it's not static. It's not decreasing if you're in Christ. But it's increasing. A, a joyful love is fluid. It grows. It excels. It, it overflows like over the rivers of a bank, like over the waters of the river bank. One said this, you know a man or woman can be a good doctor without loving his patients, can be a good lawyer without loving his clients, could be a good geologist without loving rocks. But a man or a woman cannot be a good Christian without love. It's the, it's the Christian virtue. It's the cardinal Christian virtue. Paul says that if you do not love, you're what? You're this. What's that? Just a noisy gong. A noisy gong without love. Love, again, we trace this through the Scriptures. It all begins in the Old Testament with the Lord God. It continues with through Jesus, obviously. And again, his, his last days, his last hours with his disciples in the upper room, Love is the characteristic who he says, you guys got to love. They'll, they'll know you're my disciples by what your love for one another. This is the great commandment to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is key to being and having joy. 
church historian uh, Tertullian made mention of, of this in his writings when talking about the, the, the early church growing rapidly in the Roman Empire. Um, the, the, the government saw that the Christian church was, was just expanding and growing, and so they sent spies to see what was going on, thinking that they might rebel against Rome. And so they sent spies into the church, and they came back, and this is what one reported. These Christians are very strange people, he said, the spy. They speak of one by the name of Jesus who is absent, but whom they seem to be expecting at any time. And oh, how they love him. And oh my, how they love one another. That's what the report the spies brought back. is how this church in Rome loved Jesus and loved one another. Isn't that a great report card? It made me think of this. I wonder if spies were sent to the crossing, to our church, to here right this morning. Maybe someone sitting next to you is a spy from the government. You know, you never know. I don't know. Probably not. <clears throat> Probably not. Or if they came to our life groups, what, what would they experience? What would they see? What would they hear? I think, again, not perfectly, but I think they would experience the same thing that the Romans, Christians, the spies experience. Why? Because the, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His spirit that dwelt in them dwells in us. His word that dwelt in them dwells in us. And, and, and the actions that we live out of the gospel is, is out of love. And therefore, these spies would see our love for one another. I was with a couple last week and are going through some some serious things, life changing decision makings, and and and, and uh, they're asking about the crossing, and I just got to share with them about how you guys love and love so well. And so they, they were just they were just amazed as I kind of talked about all the different ways in that that this body loves one another and loves others that are outside this body. And they were just amazed. Why? Because when I'm giving them examples, when love is tangible, when you can touch it and smell it and taste it and feel it and hear about it and see it, it's powerful. And they were just like, man, that's, that's awesome. And then when they come, one of the things that we hear mostly from visitors is like, man, I can, I can feel the genuineness, the love that you guys have. And that's a testimony, again, to you guys and the Spirit of God working in you. You see, this love also, though, it says this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more with knowledge and all discernment. This love has like two rails it runs on. Two rails. One of those rails is knowledge. The other is discernment. Knowledge has this idea of a precise and correct knowledge. The Greek word is epinosis, a precise and correct knowledge learned by experience. And then this knowledge that's learned by experience produces something. It produces an outward action of, of discernment, of wisdom, of knowledge, of applied insight on how to live. You see, love flows through the Word of God, the Gospel of God froze through Christ. Christ is the Word. So it's not just this love that has no parameters around it. This, this gospel-centered love that leads to joy flows through knowledge and discernment. Paul doesn't say that our love should abound without parameters because that would be unhealthy. Think about a parent who, who loves his child but doesn't discipline their child. I was thinking about this, and um, I think Jason Smith, uh, Jason Smith and I were at, were at breakfast at the egg and I this one morning, and this 
Jason's sitting here, I'm sitting here, and there's this little family sitting here, and this, this, this mom with a couple kids and a friend, and one of the kids, I think it was about five years old, she wanted the, the little child to come and sit next to her because he was sitting way over here. And she's, you know, he's like, oh, little Johnny, why don't you come sit here? And he's like throwing a fit. No, I come there. And she's like, nah, come on, you know, come on, it's okay, come sit here. So he finally just picks, picks up a, one of those jelly packs, and he chucks it at her, and it hits her right in the chest and kind of explodes, Right? Now, what would be your reaction at that point if you were the parent? Hers was this. Now, little Johnny, you're so silly. Go ahead and sit there. Is that love that flows through knowledge and discernment? Now, you can, you can enable someone. So love has these rails. I also heard of another, <laughs> another story where this mom, she's at I don't know, like Kmart or Walmart or whatnot. And her kid is just having a temper tantrum right there in the cart. Those of us with kids have been there. We know exactly what's taking place. And we know that everyone in the store and from miles outside the store, heals, here's our kid, right? And this, this lady, Mary, says, oh, it's okay. We're almost done. Mary, you need to practice self-control right now. And she gets to the cashier. And the cashier hears her talking, you know. Man. She says, man, that's incredible how, how much you're, you know, loving and serving your daughter and how calm you are. And, 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 and the lady goes, uh, I'm Mary. <laughs> the mom. I'm Mary. Not the kid. See, love needs to be with knowledge and discernment. Anyways, get the point. And then we see some purpose clauses of this love. This is why the loves abound. This is the purpose why Paul is praying that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. So that, again, here's the purpose, so that you may approve what is excellent. That means that you and I will be able to approve when this love is growing in us, when we're understanding it through biblical insight and knowledge and seeing the gospel, the grid of the gospel. When we see that, we can approve not what is bad and what is good. We already, we already know what that is, but what is good and what is best. What is good and what is excellent. There are some of you walking through um, some life changes right now. You've got some big decisions to make. And when you're seeking the Lord in His community, through His Word, abounding in love, knowledge, and discernment, this, when that's the grid in which you're looking at your decision in life, He's going to give you the right choice. And not only just give you a good choice, but He's going to give you the most excellent choice. So you can approve that which is excellent. And then also you will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. These, these, these verses 9 through 11, when I first studied them and heard them and taught to me 20 years ago, first when I was just becoming a Christian, they became some of my favorite verses and foundational verses of my Christian walk. This is, I go back to 9 and 11 over and over and over again. And in particular is that one word, that one little word is pure. So to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That word pure, could be, another word could be, could be used, uh, say sincere. It could be sincere. So be sincere. In, in the ancient world, there's a very graphic description of this word. It actually comes from a Latin phrase, sina sera. And what it means is if you were in the, the, the pottery business back then, you know, pots were made of clay and you had pots and pans and, and bowls and all those other things. They're mainly in clay. And so, you would go to, to the market and you'd go down the street and go to the local coal store or whatever and you go to get a, maybe you need a pot for cooking, right? So uh, you go down to the, the store and you get this pot. And 
pots were either stamped or not stamped with Sinicera or not. And some of the, the more honest uh, merchants would stamp their pots with Sinicera. And what that would mean is that this pot would be without wax, without wax. Because some of the more dishonest merchants, those that were selling them, would, you know, in the process of making this bowl, the bowl might crack and it'd be worthless. So what they would do is they would take some wax, they would, you know, kind of cover up the crack and then repaint it or shape it or whatever. So you, you, you couldn't see just visually when the pot was sitting there, but he would know that the, the pot was cracked. The pot would be useless because if you took that pot home and you put it on the fire to cook, what would happen? The max would welt and, and everything would fall out. And so the more honest ones would stamp their pots in a Sarah without wax. And so you know that you had a, a, a good pot. But if you were also smart, what you'd also do in that day is you would, you would test that pot right there in the, in the market. You would take that pot or that bowl or whatever, and you would hold it up to the sunlight, and the sunlight would show if that pot was cracked or not, if it was a, 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 a fully intact pot or if it was made without wax. So that's how they would test it. And so what Paul is saying here, when, when, when you're in Christ and your love is abounding and you're growing in it, in knowledge and discernment, the idea here is saying that don't let your love be fake or don't let your love be cracked. Don't let it be mixed. Don't let it have impure motives. And there's a process in which the Lord is moving and, shape, and, and directing you into holiness. And we all maybe start out as cracked pots, but God comes in and not only just doesn't put wax over us, but he gives us, he, he recreates us anew. And so when we abound in love of God, we will be able to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ because Christ is working in us. So this is just a little highlight of what Paul is talking about when he's talking about joy, what he's thinking about. Joy is relational. Joy is first found in a person. We, we have joy because we're saints. We're in Christ. We have joy because we're in the family business and we're in joy because God is, is moving through us through love. And this Christmas season, as we you know, go to this holiday season, we go to the stores and we, we go to the parties, we're going to come in uh, contact with a lot of people who are looking for joy, are looking for happiness, are looking for gladness. And they know it's not found in the, in the department stores. They know it's not found in, in material things. And they're, they're searching. And the Lord is sending you to them to to be the, the light of the gospel, to be in the family business to shine that, to give them and show them and point them to where true joy is found. And true joy is found in Christ, in the Lord. Philippians 16.11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hands there are pleasures forevermore. So let's be a people that are shining the joy of Christ in our lives this holiday season. Let's pray. Father, thank You for just this little reminder. This little reminder of where joy is, where joy can be found. It's found in You first and foremost. It's found in the Gospel. It's found in, in sinners seeing their need for a Savior, repenting of their sins and trusting in You. And for those of us that have done that, Lord, Lord, let our, let our lives, let, let our lives that people see be characterized by joy, regardless of the circumstances that we are in. Lord, there are times of weeping and 
We understand that. We weep with those who weep, but we rejoice with those who rejoice. And let us be pillars of joy so the world can see the greatness of God in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.